Hi, and welcome to Spine Chillers and Serial Killers. I'm Becky. I'm Emma. And I'm Tash. <laughs> <laughs> Why, Tash, you don't sound yourself today. Well, you know, I drank a little bit of water from the English tap, and uh, <laughs> things happened. I don't know what they are. I don't know what's happening. I know, I'm JT. Hi, everybody. I am insane. I'm the insane American. Yeah, we've got one of them with us tonight, folks. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, it's not going to get better, everybody. Yes, it will. It will. Because I'm not telling the stories. No, we're going to get through this. Basically, what happened is we've already recorded this, and it went horribly wrong last night. And Tash is busy, and JT graciously said, do you know what? I, I, I'll fill in. So, yeah. We were like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Well, I mean, it was like, yeah, hold on. <laughs> Becky has to approve. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. I don't think she ever did, you know. I did, but Bye, didn't everybody. write it down. It was like <laughs> telepathic saying, you should just assume that I'm okay with everything. When do I ever say no? <laughs> exactly. I mean. Oi, oi. <laughs> <laughs> I heard a lot of things last week. <laughs> So yeah, it's a shame that you're never going to hear yesterday's episode because it was really funny. Yeah. One of the funny stories actually involved how mortified I was. I actually gave myself the ick by using a word that I've never used in my life and never speak like it. But JT said something nice to me because we were chatting on Twitter and I could have just gone, oh, thanks. That's nice. And instead of saying that for some weird, bizarre reason, I typed out sound. <laughs> that's see you you told me you had a story that involved me and i had no idea where this was going that is one of the more tame stories that could be told involving me i approve the thing is though right this is how my brain works nothing that we've talked about on twitter has mortified me more that that single <laughs> moment where i sent send on the word sound mortifying I just accepted it for what it was. Why is it? I mean, I know you don't use it. Is it because it's like regional? No one said it for, since the 90s. <laughs> oh, it was an AIM situation. <laughs> I see. Yeah. Yes. Nothing like logging into AIM and, you know. Yeah. It's a bit like saying YOLO out loud or something like that. You know, no one says that anymore. <laughs> or, or ever. <laughs> Did anyone say that? So, yeah, we went around other words that no one says anymore that we're going to try and bring back. So, radical was one of them. Not like we ever said that. That was more an American thing. Unless that was just on films. Did we, people used to say that? What? Rad. Rad? Oh, God. The, <laughs> the West Coast, probably. A lot more than the East Coast. Rad. Totally. Gnarly. Sick. Surfers like to say shred some gnar. Oh, I don't like that. No. I don't either. It mean? sounds dirty and I don't like it, nor do I consent. Yeah, so it's like surfers <laughs> surfing waves, shred oh, some right. gnar. I don't. There you are. For some reason, <laughs> I thought that meant let's go smoke weed. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really kind of the precursor to the smoking, right? You got to shred the gnar and then you got to, you know. Yeah, that makes but, sense. Yeah, oh. no, my brother once said it and I was like, come again, who are you? <laughs> Where did you come from? Where did you come from? Where did you go? Cotton Eye Joe. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we forget how big America is, though, because from one side to the other, it's just 
you know, if you were in Europe, you'd be in a completely different country, as huge as America. So you obviously have some yeah. weird things that each other say. Is it huge, Becky? Is America That's what big? she said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just letting it happen. It's fine. <laughs> Does anyone say tosser anymore? I know it was like an insult. Oh, I use tosser all the time. Do you? Yeah. It's usually guided towards me, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And like, you know, when you're driving in England, you can, can, like, do the tosser sign with your hand and be like, you wanker, like that. That doesn't, you can't do that in France. Wanker, it doesn't work. You have to just use the middle finger. And also, you know when you, like, fan your hand? How can I explain this on a podcast? But when someone, like, cuts you off or something in the car and you kind of, like, splay your hand out in a way, everyone does that. No matter where you go in the world, it's like, what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) That or, like, typically you're just like, hello? Yeah. Uh, Am I invisible? (laughs) (laughs) See, but, like, and I said this in, like, our, um, our weird, stupid crimes bit, but, like, if I had to be insulted by somebody, I really would want to be insulted by somebody with... I mean, honestly, a northern UK accent. Because quite honestly, it's like falling in a pit of marshmallows where maybe it's mean, but aw, come on. <laughs> Can you be that? Aw, come on. But maybe that's because I've never really been torn into. Yeah, I think so. I'm going to say, because northerners are quite... It depends how where how far north you go. If you go so north that you're in the Geordie area, where Newcastle is, no matter what the Geordies say, I think they sound like they're having a good time. <laughs> I think Londoners can be quite scary when they want to be. But yeah, I think a, a Yorkshireman, when they're really going at you, it can be a little bit intimidating. You don't want to piss off someone from Yorkshire. Yeah. That's true, because I also wouldn't like to piss off my buddy from Leeds. Like, I just wouldn't. Because I have a feeling, like, cause he's like, well, maybe it's specific to him, but I have a feeling it's not where he's just like really quick. And he'll just like throw things out there that are yeah. just like, I can't even come back from that. I got nothing. Like, <laughs> Yeah, sometimes <laughs> All right, I can do you it. Twice, I'll be like, yeah, I'm, I'm so quick and and witty, and then they'll come back about a million times, and I'm just like, no, brain doesn't work after about two times. <laughs> and then you lay in bed at night, reliving, reliving it, and you're like, oh fuck, I should have said that. <laughs> reliving this imaginary <laughs> argument where I actually won. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm really, really good at arguing in my bed, in my head. <laughs> In my bed, in my head again. <laughs> face to face, no, I'm just going to cry. Face to face, it's like, your mom. Oh, when I get angry, I cry. So I can't get angry and be in an argument because I'll start crying. They're like, oh, well, now the water works. I'm like, I'm not crying. I'm just so angry. You know what's funny, though? You say that, but like my, my wife's the same way, where if she's crying, I know she's pissed off. She's not sad. She's pissed. And at that point, I either need to move out of the way or <laughs> or I need to say, hey, what's up? <laughs> one of the two. Yeah. I got very, very angry at a French guy one time and he said the thing that no angry woman wants to hear. He said that I was crazy. Oh. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, oh, what is he asked if you were on your period. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> no, but he was probably thinking it, Becky. He was probably thinking it. So this guy comes... Right, so my house is next door to another house. That's how next door houses work. This guy had come down to my road, to my house, to use the car park. 
to go to see the next door neighbour. Absolutely fine. No issue with that. Except at the time I was walking my dogs. I had my small child with me at the time. I think it was probably about two toddling about. I had a bazillion cats because when you go for a walk, the cats are all like, we're all coming. So I've got four dogs, about seven cats. Imagine seeing that coming at you. A woman with four (laughs) dogs, 20 cats. It's a regular old Rex Harrison, Dr. Doolittle. And uh, he was, he came down our road. So I was trying to like, I don't know, like maneuver everybody out of the way. And he was like right up our asses, being really rude, like, um, I said, can you stop? Because you're going to run my dog over. At this time, my dog's like 15 and extremely oh. slow and blind. And um, and he said to me, can you just pick your fucking dog up? And I was like, whoa, hang on a minute. You've just, you don't know what you've just done. So I picked my fucking dog up and child who's now screaming because she thinks this guy's going to run all our animals over and get them all inside to Ben. And I'm like, I'll be back in a minute. And I laid into this man so hard. And he, I was like, you're driving down my drive. I am allowed to walk my pets and my child down my drive. What the fuck is your problem? And he's like, oh, I didn't think it was your drive. I thought it was the neighbours. I said, well, it's not. And it's never been an issue because nobody's ever been such a dickhead. And he's like, oh, you're crazy. You're crazy. And oh, it just got worse no. from there. I can't stand it. When a woman stands up for herself and you get you're crazy, you're hysterical. It's like, mate, I'm going to kill you now. Yeah. (laughs) Do you want to see you crazy? (laughs) (laughs) I'll show you crazy. But like, the bottom line, right, the foundation of that is that his reasoning was that he didn't know it was your drive, so he was going to talk to you that way. The issue is that he talked to you that way. It's not (laughs) whose drive it is. It's like... And he was pushing us, like his bumper was touching the back of my legs. He was pushing us to go faster. It's like vehicular assault. <laughs> yeah, he's, he, he, he was a wine rep, so he was in a rush. He had to get to his client, who is my next-door neighbour, who now will never buy wine for him again, because apparently he went straight to my next-door neighbour, slagging me off as a hysterical English woman that lives next door. And my next-door neighbour was like, yeah, you're not going to talk about her like that, so see ya. Jesus, he went to go wine to the wine guy. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that was fun. Shall we? Oh, we've got to do the song, haven't we? Yes, and, and uh, you know. Did you guess it, JT? No, I listened to it over and over, uh, literally over and over, and I even did individual, like, lines that you read, searches in Google, and I had nothing. Well, the, the one that Becky did last week, you have no idea what it is? No, no idea what it is at all. I thought it was really easy, was that one? It probably was, but I'm definitely not good at this. But I think when, when Emma says what it is, you're going to slap yourself in the face, JT. I'm going to. <laughs> and, I, and I'm going to like it. <laughs> I'm going to give a quick shout out to Stacey because she did actually give me the answer to the one before that nobody else got. But she gave it to me after we'd recorded the episode, but before we published it. So it's still a win. So Stacey, she did actually get the Never Ever by All Saints. Becky's song from last week. Uh, Stacy, Megan, and Nicole got it right, and it was "Sweet Child of Mine." Well, I'm just gonna go. <laughs> that was the sound of me slapping myself. Um, yeah, that was silly. You know, it's really funny because everything when you guys put them together, they're kind of you know they come off creepy um, and fantastic. But every time that I hear it, I'm just like, "Well, that's got to be an Ed Sheeran." Well, that's got to be an Ed Sheeran. <laughs> <laughs> Ed Sheeran's a creepy guy. He's a creepy guy. 
creepy songs. Kind of, sort of. But yeah, uh, that's <laughs> maybe that's my problem because I just want to go, it's Ed Sheeran. Because at some point I've got to be right, right? I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say it was one of the first ones. I think that's why you got stuck on Ed Sheeran. That's it. I'm just stuck on Ed. Ed, <laughs> come on over. <laughs> that sounded no that's not how i meant that well oh well what are you gonna do i mean if you want to come by come by it's fine so anyway well done ladies mm-hmm. on guessing the well, song well done yeah you did better than jt the, the bar is low <laughs> <You're>... <laughs> the bar is way low right jt you have been following our black monk of pontefract series i sure have so I'm going to wrap it up now with part five because I do not want to talk about Fred anymore. He scares the shit out of me. Yeah, everything you post, I'm just like, nope. 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 Now I've read two books about him now and I'm just like, yeah, I'm done. I'm done. In fact, next week, I think the episode might have to be about Care Bears. I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> <laughs> just for my own mental sanity. What's really funny is that whether it's the monk you're speaking of or a monk in general, I feel like after about 48 hours and or two books, it's pretty much nope. It's the same reaction. Yeah, yeah. Nope. Nope. Unless you're brewing beer, like, nope. (laughs) Bex, did you see the video of the pushchair? Because you asked to see it and I posted it on the Facebook page. Have you seen it? Yeah. So it's a... A child's pushchair. Indeed it is. I have the exact same one in, like, the other room. It's one that everyone has, isn't it? Don't put it at the top of your stairs, man. I don't have any stairs. Live in a bungalow. <laughs> oh, do you really? Yeah. How did I not know Ready that? to be an old lady. Oh. <laughs> no stairs for me. Planning ahead. But also, so many accidents happen on stairs. Yeah. And Tash can come and stay at your house and she'll be completely at ease. Yeah. Her arthritis toe won't hurt and she won't need to worry about going down the stairs. Or walking backwards up them. (laughs) Down them. Down them. Katie, down them. You go up. I'm not going over it again. Nobody believes me. Hold on. Did you just call me Jeff? (laughs) (laughs) I refuse to be a Jeff. I will never be a Jeff. No, when you listen back, you will not hear Jeff. Jeff did not leave my lips. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he, it leaves anybody's after he's done. <laughs> it's fine. Jeff is the sound that his toenails make when they hit the floor. Oh. Yeah. Do you remember that episode, Becky, when I was talking about Tasha's dog tapping on the floor and I could hear her little toenails and you thought I was talking about Tash? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I bet Jeff makes that noise on the tiles. Oh. <laughs> he just always sounds like he's excited to get to wherever he wants to go. He's just tap dancing his way around life. That's what Jeff's doing. <laughs> Thing is, though, you don't need to have had to have heard that noise to know what it sounds like. Like, Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awful. So, as the house gained in notoriety, more and more paranormal groups wanted to come and investigate. This in turn caught the attention of paranormal event organisers who started doing tours of the house. On one occasion, the host was leaving the guests to roam free around the house to get a feel for the place. She was just going to see her co-organiser in the lounge when a chair flew across the floor and banged her straight in the knees. So at first, she had absolutely no idea what just happened. But her co-organiser was absolutely horrified because he'd seen the whole thing. But this is where it sucks. He was setting the cameras up and he hadn't got the right angle on the chair. So he didn't catch it on camera. 
the frame he had, it, it could have been faked. So they never put it out there. But they both swear to God that this happened. So she basically walked in a room and whatever was in that room was like, nope, you're not coming in and threw a chair in her legs. Yeah, that's fun. Fred's, Fred's got something against furniture. No, we're going to see in this episode, Fred is stepping up his game. He's getting pissed. Yeah. So did oh, she God. just think that she just walked into a chair? She didn't see the chair move? No, she she didn't understand what happened because as, as you do, she was just like walking and looking ahead, right? She wasn't looking down. And then all of a sudden, something smacked into her legs, and she looked down, and there was a chair there. Oh. Mm-mm. Nope. Got kneecapped by a chair. Jesus. <laughs> and yet, she stayed on, so she's professional, I'll give her that. She stayed on and did the investigation with the guests, and they all set up in one of the bedrooms, and suddenly, one of them, the guests, let out a cry of pain, saying something had squeezed his ankle really hard. So when he lifted his trouser leg, everyone was shocked to see a perfect circular welt start to swell. Oh, welt. Oh no, I don't know why I keep using the word welt, because I don't like it. Welt, welt, welt. Yeah, a weeping welt. What's the synonym of welt? There's not much where you can say, really. I'm not a doctor. No, it's welt. It's just got to be welt. It's just basically welt. Why does it sound so wet, though? That's like, oh... (laughs) Oh, we weren't. I didn't even do it on purpose, but we said the same thing yesterday. <laughs> oh, wet things. And that's when we got onto the whole <laughs> the whole vampire thing with Tash. Oh, dear. The moist vampire dick. Do you remember? <laughs> oh, Lord, we're going to have to talk about it now. <laughs> You guys, while I was doing something else, so it was a point where I was going to cut it out, I was doing something else. I can just hear Bex and Tash being the most disgusting they could possibly be, just coming out with wet, cold, welt (laughs) penis, shiny, wet balls. Shiny. (laughs) And I, I said, oh, cold, cold dick could feel quite nice. At which point they were both horrified. And then we got onto vampire dicks. So yeah, that's that's how our conversation went. Yeah, well Tasha's point was a cold dick would be flaccid, therefore not interesting to her. That's what she said. So sorry about this, JT. <laughs> no, I mean it's very quiet. It's, you know, it's on brand. I like it. It's fine. Um I I, I get it. The whole like the cold version would be great is very confusing to me, but that's fine. I don't judge preferences. <laughs> it's cool. Like, if you like a good vampire penis, it's fine. Like, that's great. They only come out at night. They only come at night. It's cool. Like, it's fine. Yeah. They, you know, usually they have money. So, whatever you need. Yeah. It's so sparkly in the sun. <laughs> oh, no, I couldn't. Not with one of those. No, not sparkly vampire. It'd have to be more like an interview with a vampire vampire. Than a Twilight vampire. Yeah. Those aren't vampires. <laughs> I'm going to get a bunch of hate mail for saying that. <laughs> Those are not vampires. What, the Twilight ones or the interview with the vampire yeah. vampire? The Twilight ones. Yeah. No. When I used to watch that when I was younger, when I was a teen, I used to think it was, you know, I used to think it was good. But then now when you look at it now, the acting, everything is <laughs> <It's> just terrible. <laughs> The only good movie out of that series is the last one, because I have seen them. And the last one was the only one where I was just like, wait, where is this going? 
and I got surprised. Yeah. Uh, like at the last, the, the whole war scene thing that happened. But other than that, like, I, I you know, like, you, you can't overuse the smolder <laughs> in vampires. Oh, but he, he smoldered a lot. Yeah. Oh, his entire life is a smolder. Like, he did it in Batman, too. So oh, I haven't seen him in Batman. <laughs> Yeah. But also, I I have an issue with going out with somebody who's constantly looking at me like they want to eat me. Why? Why did she go for that? Because I'd be like, no, thank you. I think Edward was so dramatic with things. He was like running around the forest. <laughs> he was like, as if you could outrun me. <laughs> like, <it's> just... <laughs> <What>? <laughs> What's really funny is I feel like he had to be overdramatic because Kristen Stewart is literally just like flat. Oh my god. Yeah. What did you do? The only thing I will say is in the book, that's what she is. She's a very like two dimensional, like flat character. But you know He caught it. Yeah, exactly. And then he was like, oh, I saw her jumping off a cliff. I'm going to go and kill myself in a really dramatic way. It's just really, it's just really dramatic. Yeah. It was. Vampires are allowed emotions too. Yeah. Yeah, vampires are people too. Well, they're not. They were. I didn't say I was right. I was just talking. (laughs) (laughs) Just words are coming out. Let's get back to Fred. Way more scarier than Twilight. Okay, so there's a welt on this guy's ankle. So the organizer asks... If he's okay to continue, and he said he'd be fine, even though he was granted a little shaken, which is understandable. These guests had paid to stay in the house the whole night, and the organiser finished her tour and investigation. She locked them in the house and went back to her hotel room. Can you imagine paying to be locked in that house? No. Why? It's the same people that, you know, pay to hang out with your dominatrix alter egos. Yeah. You know, that's kind of what they're going for. <laughs> like, if you like it, you like it. It's fine. Those are good people. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the income, right? They better be good people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. So once she woke up in the morning, she looks on her phone. She sees she's got a load of missed calls and she recognizes the number as being that of the guest that she'd locked in number 30. So she rang them back straight away and they told her that they had tried ringing her all night to be let out, but eventually had climbed out of a window because the friend who'd been attacked on the ankle, the pain just got worse and worse and worse and they had to take him to hospital where he had an x-ray and it showed that his bone had been snapped by something squeezing it so hard. Ah. Yeah. Fred actually broke this guy's ankle and we're going to see with Fred that the ankle is a bit of a theme and I find that horrifying. It kind of makes me want to lift my legs up. Yeah, I don't like grabby ankles. No, thank you. Fred's a Anything dick. Anything that deals with an ankle, I'm just like, Ugh. <laughs> 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 I just don't want to deal. Nope, no thanks. So another time the organiser, so same organiser, was using open phone lines around the house to catch anything audible how to explain it. So there was loads of phones placed in all the rooms, all on a group chat, basically. And all the guests were in this one room listening to this one phone to see if anything came through. They heard a voice that was not their own voice say, get out, you whore. So he's rude as well. He is. He's just not a pleasant man. Entity or whatever he is. Toss furniture around all you want. Don't don't call people names. And just as he said, get out, you whore, he grabbed one of the women 
that was staying at the house by the ankles, just to add to more terrifying effect. On a different occasion, a total sceptic had booked in for a visit with a few friends. They were wandering round when she came to the bottom of the stairs and she heard growled right in her ear, fuck off, fuck off. Fuck off. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So she left that evening, well, straight away, and she left a believer. Now, it seems like Fred is becoming more aggressive over time, but we can't even be sure if this is all down to Fred. Joe Pritchard, as we mentioned in the previous episode, is suspected of haunting the house as well. And he's not a nice spirit. He apparently has a very, this is my house feel to him and is very territorial. So could it possibly be him shouting at people to get out? Could be. People have said they've seen his reflection in mirrors, seen an apparition, sat in a chair, and also seen a shadow person laying face down on the bathroom floor where Joe died. Ooh. Yeah. Not like that. Now, of course, this could all be Fred pretending. But you brought up a really good point, either an episode or maybe two episodes ago, where he kind of fulfills what people think of him, right? Like, he kind of does what people think or mention that he should be doing. Well, he he's listening. He's listening. So he's like, oh, I'll do that. So if people have brought up Joe and the fact that Joe... I mean, he's in the house, so he knows that Joe died in the house, right? So maybe he's just pretending to be Joe. Who knows? We don't know. Maybe. They should have mentioned the fact that somebody was tap dancing in a tutu before they died. And <laughs> that would have been fun. <laughs> that would have been fun. Yeah. There was um, opportunities that were not taken. Did they not ever see Harry Potter with ridiculous? Mm-hmm. Like, come on. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> To be honest, if I saw an apparition in a tutu tap dancing, I'd still be fucking terrified. Yeah, I think I would as well. This could all be Fred pretending and fooling people, but psychics have said that they have picked up on Joe being around. Not all the time. He's not like housebound. He comes and goes as he pleases, but he does tend to stick around to protect a child. Now, we spoke about a child spirit suspected of being Fred's victims. So is that why Joe's sticking around? Because there's this poor little girl stuck in the house with this monster, possibly. Like an entire ghost world. Yeah, we, well, this is what we talk about, JT, ghost world. Uh, I mean, I, what a, Joe seems like a reasonable fella. I'm going to take care of the little ones and keep them away from the... Yeah, very territorial, so he could be shouting at people to get out, just, you know, keeping the kids safe. And they're not like a freak show. <laughs> So piss off. Mm. Joe, when he was alive and living at 30 East Drive, he had an experience in the coal shed that is attached to the house. It's like going in a back room, basically, mm-hmm. and that's where they've got the coal. Yeah. And the coal shed is the place where things that had gone missing in the house would often show up, like Renee's white coat. Do you remember that from a previous episode? Totally yeah. untouched, right? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely not a smudge on it. Clean. One day he lost his work jacket and sure enough, he found it in the coal shed. As he went in to retrieve it, the door slammed behind him and he was stuck in there with, presumably, Fred. In the pitch black, unable to force the door open, even though it didn't have any locks on it. Something happened to him. Something that would change him forever. He never would speak of the details about what occurred in there, but he wanted to move straight away. Jean refused, standing her ground and not wanting to be chased away. After all, this was the house of her dream. She'd wanted 30 East Drive before the Farrars had moved in and she'd been to the council requesting this specific house and the council had said no. 
So when the Farrars were like, do you want to do a swap? She thought, hell yes. You know, she was like, I'm getting my dream house. I want it. So Jean basically told Joe to man up, basically, <laughs> and not be frightened of what <laughs> whatever is in the coal shed and that they were staying put. It's like it has nothing to do with whether you're a man or not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if someone shut me in the coal shed with it so, so dark and then I couldn't get out, even if nothing else happened, I wouldn't ever go back in there again, ever. No, 100%. I totally freak out. So the thing to be noted is that Joe was a strong bloke, right? He was a miner. So even if his entire family had been behind that door holding him inside, he would have been strong enough to push them away. So whatever was holding that door was bigger and stronger than Joe. No, 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 no. And then, so he was a miner. So he was used to being in like dark places, Mm -hmm. confined or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, so he wasn't claustrophobic. Yeah, going down a mine. Can you imagine how blinking claustrophobic that is? Terrifying. Terrifying. Haunted or not haunted. Terrifying. I know it's not the same thing, but the movie The Descent scared me for the fact that they're going through these tiny little holes and they can get stuck. And I find that way more scary than the weird little humanoid things that they find down there. Are you claustrophobic? No, I'm not. But that scares the shit out of me. Or, um, you know, like when people go cave diving. Oh, God, I just no. don't understand Ooh. those people. Don't understand Mm-mm. it. I'd rather jump out of a plane. I, I have jumped out of a plane, and I have, I have scuba dived, and uh, the cave diving is one of the most frightening things that I've ever seen. Yeah, no. I'd I dive. Absolutely. I'd go scuba... I've, I have done. I'd go scuba diving, but absolutely would not go in a cave Mm-mm. at all. Uh -uh. And even a normal cave is scary. Yeah. So Joe is not claustrophobic because he's a miner. So he is used to working down the mine. And yet he is absolutely terrified about whatever happened in that coal shed. And we will never know what it was. Poor man. What's his wife's name again? Sorry? Jean. Jean's a bit of a dick, isn't she? She's one of those people that works (laughs) for the HOA. She's a Karen. That's what you're saying. She's a Karen. Absolutely. She's a very early Karen. (laughs) She is stubborn. She's not going to be getting chased out of her house. And all credit to Jean. I'm like, she's hard as nails because I'd have been out there like 25 years ago. I'd have been like, yep, see you. There's weird powder falling from the middle of this room. I'm off. That's not normal. Yeah. That's not something I want. But no, she's stuck it out for another 50 years. So, you know. Tough lady. I suppose. But still, I still think she's a little bit Karen-y. I think there's Karen-y on the edges. Yeah, the whole buck up buttercup thing is kind of a... <laughs> yeah. Karen move. <laughs> you only got attacked in a coal shed, Joe. Calm down. We're not moving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably your fault anyway. <laughs> By an entity that you couldn't see. I don't know what happened in there. But you're like walking with your legs, you know, crossed. So uh, who, who knows? Oh, God! Oh, JT! <laughs> Did you ask to speak the, to the entity's manager? <laughs> <laughs> I did not get the experience I paid for. Yes. Oh, dear. So, of course, then came the paranormal shows. So, the most famous UK-based show being Most Haunted, hosted by Yvette Fielding. Have you heard of that, JT? No. Nope. It's a bit like the American version. Of Ghost Adventures. But we've got Yvette Fielding, who's 
almost as badass as Zach Baggins. So I shall watch it, is what you're saying. <laughs> no, really don't. Oh, okay. This <laughs> this show is classed as entertainment, which should tell you all you need to know. They're very theatrical. They overreact over the smallest of things. They did two shows there plus a Halloween special. I don't really want to use any of their experiences in the story because as always with that show, you never know what's real or what's being made up. But what I will say is that at one point of filming, Carl and Stuart, so they're part of the Most Haunted team, they both got identical burns on their wrists. Now, deep burns. And when Bill saw them, so Bill Bungay, the owner of the house, he saw them a few months later, Stuart still showed him the scar that was on his wrist. So we're talking a proper deep burn. And he documented the healing process. So when you, you know, you burn yourself and then it gets mm-hmm. really bad and ugly and horrible and, and then it starts getting better. And Carl had the exact same scars. Now, if you're going to fake something, slamming a door or, you know, pretending to be possessed or whatever, okay, fair enough. But I think that's one step too far to fake something. I find it difficult to believe that somebody would have faked that. Like giving themselves a third degree burn? Well, it's hard to, I assume it'd be hard to do. How would you even do it? Because it was right around their wrists and it was in an identical spot. Well, it takes me about half an hour to peel a plaster off. You know, when you cut yourself and you put a little band-aid on and then you either have to rip it off or pull it off slowly. It takes me about half an hour to decide what to do. You know what I mean? I can't, I don't like hurting myself. <laughs> 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 so yeah, I would not be thing. burning myself it's on something really hot. I'd be like, eh, like that and not want to do it. <laughs> well, like that just kind of goes to show you, you know, just <laughs> sorry, I'm going back to you taking 30 minutes. It's fine. Um, <laughs> that just goes to show you just how insane the human brain is to try and want to make sense out of it. Like you're willing to say that they, well, they obviously did this on purpose then to accept the fact that maybe it was something else. Well, I'm saying it has to be something else because I refuse to believe that somebody would have done that on purpose. Yeah, to permanently scar themselves. Yeah. Yeah, that's just insanity. The rest of the show, I will actually link, I found the two episodes on YouTube, so I'll link them in the description of the show and you guys can watch for yourselves. But I don't know what to make of the rest of it. You know, it's most haunted. It's probably bollocks. But that bit, it just made me think, hmm... Oh, uh, yeah, I can't explain that one away unless they're really dedicated. But again, on camera as well, you know, it happened on camera. So how do you burn yourself without, you know? If it's if it's entertainment, there are various ways of handling, you know, makeup. <laughs> so <laughs> there's an entire, I'm sure there's an entire class out there on bruising and scars and healing. Uh, but that being said, eh. Well, the owner of the house and the author of the book that I'm using said that it was definitely a real scar that he saw. And yeah, he, he just found it a bit freaky. Yeah. He, he wasn't overly impressed with the most haunted show because they've been disrespectful to Fred. And Bill's thing is, you're more than welcome to come and investigate the house, but please don't piss off the ghost because I don't want it to get any worse than it is. You can come and see it as it is, but don't taunt it. That's why he, like, banned Ouija boards and stuff. 
Yeah. So the most the most haunted team had been taunting him. They had been threatening him. So they just completely ignored what Bill had requested, basically. So as he was clearing up after they'd left, he noticed that a lot of figurines had been turned to face the wall. And he thought it was such a shame that they were so caught up in making everything seem dramatic that they actually missed the real paranormal activity, which was a shame. So now that brings us to Richard Estet, who is the co-author of the book that I'm using. And he's also a paranormal investigator. So he came to visit the house. He turned up with his team and he met Bill, who showed them all in and gave them a quick tour around the house. Richard's told to make sure he keeps hold of the house keys at all times, because if he puts them down, they have a tendency to go missing. So Bill shows Richard some new scratches that had recently appeared on the front door. He said it looked like an animal trying to get in, which was really odd because no animals really ever wanted to go in. Apart from, you know, those two girls last week who had that little dog. I think that's the only animal that has accepted to set foot in the house. Yeah. And he recalled that one time the police had been called because the neighbours could hear all these bangs. And I've actually got a video of bangs coming from the coal shed door. And when I tell you, it is absolutely terrifying. We're not just talking about gentle little taps. They, They are proper loud proper banging proper banging fred is not fucking about when he bangs he bangs <laughs> he bangs he bangs oh yep. baby he moves he moves but does he look like a flower and he stings like a bee he looks like a ghost and he's fun to me <laughs> yeah way better <laughs> no. we, uh, we should release that <laughs> yeah, yeah right <laughs> So he he recalls a time that the police were called because of the bangs that the neighbours had heard. So the police turn up with all their canine units. But even these well-trained, massive German shepherds refuse to set a paw inside that house. That tells you something, because that's kind of their job, right? They, They do what they're told. Yeah. And they were like, nope, no thank you. So the skirting board and the inside doors also would have new scratches appear from them from nowhere. Now... Pair this with reports of people hearing disembodied growling, you get a pretty terrifying idea of what could have been causing these deep scratches. Richard's team decides they're going to leave and go grab some dinner, so Richard makes sure to lock up and he puts a key in his pocket. On their return, they all stood astounded at the sight of a broken mirror laying at the bottom of the stairs. Bill said that that mirror had been there for years, held on by a strong piece of rope that had absolutely no signs of fraying. If it had just broken because it was old, you would have seen fraying on the rope. Whereas this just looked like it was snapped, basically. Yeah. I do think, though, if you've got a house with a poltergeist in it, maybe don't hang mirrors up in places that they could fall. (laughs) Also, mirrors are supposed to be portals. So if you already know your house is haunted, don't... Don't put Don't shove ceiling mirrors hanging from ropes. What are people playing at? Ceiling mirrors? What the fuck are you imagining? You just said it it fell down the stairs. Becky! You said it fell down the stairs. I know what you search for when you look for hotels. (laughs) (laughs) I have stayed in a hotel with a ceiling mirror before by myself. Well, didn't I mean, get to enjoy the ceiling mirror, and it's very awkward sleeping under it because you just 
the minute you move, you're like, oh, oh, no, it's just me. <laughs> I'm amazed that you think that there has to be somebody else to enjoy the ceiling mirror. Like, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> well, I think, yeah, that's when you, I suppose you enjoy it the most. <laughs> Sit there and eat snacks together and use the mirror. Look at the mirror and try and throw snacks in each other's mouths. Oh, you like Cheez-Its too? I love Cheez-Its. It's so nice to talk to you. Yeah. This this is how Dahmer got started. It's fine. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Just to be clear, Becky, you pervert, <laughs> it wasn't a ceiling mirror. It was at the bottom of the stairs. It hadn't fallen from the top of the stairs. The mirror itself was at the bottom of the stairs oh. and had just fallen off the wall. See, I don't think that was clear. You didn't specify that it wasn't a ceiling mirror. JT, did you think it was a ceiling mirror? No, my brain did not go there. And my brain's pretty weird. <laughs> My brain's a weird spot. You guys know this by now. And uh, I can't say that I thought ceiling mirror. The point being, they'd gone out, they'd locked the door, nobody was in the house. They came back and the mirror had just fallen off. And the rope was like cut in half. It wasn't frayed or anything like that. Well, they've now got seven years bad luck on top of being haunted. Well, Fred has. Fred broke it. They didn't. I don't think Fred gives a shit. (laughs) Oh, Oh, it's the breaker. I thought it was a whole household that got affected when a mirror was broken. I think it's just the breaker. Bill goes to sit in a chair in the lounge whilst the team set up. He was texting on his phone when Richard called him to come and look at something. He stood up and walked towards Richards while finishing his text. Then he put his phone back in his pocket. After chatting about whatever it was that Richard wanted to know, Bill reached into his pocket for his phone. And guess what? It's gone. It's not there anymore. Oh. So he's confused by this and he goes to check the chair because he thinks maybe it fell out of my pocket in the chair because that happens all the time, right? Yeah. And sure enough, his phone was on the chair wedged in between the cushions. But the weird thing is here, he got up and he was still texting. He had the phone when he got up and then he didn't. And it was back in the chair without him going near the chair. So has he blacked out? And had a bit of a thing, or that the or the phone somehow teleported out of his hand. Interpenetration of matter, I think, is the term you're looking for. Yes, that is the term that I was thinking. Thank you. So around the same time that Bill is scratching his head over the phone incident, a member of Richard's team, Charlie, gets pinned to the floor by his feet and begins to tip backwards. So in a really unnatural way for any human to move, he's like his feet are firmly on the floor and his entire body's just swaying backwards as if someone's pushing him. I don't like where this is going. (laughs) So Charlie also at this point got scratched down his back with three very long welts. I've used that word again, welts. Three very long welts appeared on his back after he complained of a burning sensation. So nobody on the team, let alone Charlie, had nails long enough to do this. And so it would appear that Charlie was becoming the focus of the attacks. Nah. Hmm. Poor Charlie. I bet he's a dead nice person as well, Charlie. It's such a lovely name. Well, listen, Charlie spent a long time biting somebody's finger. (laughs) Charlie bit my finger. Ouch, Charlie. (laughs) That really hurt. (laughs) Oh, dear. Early YouTube. What a place. Phil Bates turns up to chat with Richard. Phil Bates knows the house really well because he grew up about five minutes down the road and he used to play with Darren, who's Carol's husband. So Carol's the next door neighbour who's married to Darren. They're both caretakers of 30 East Drive. 
And he said he would often see people walking up to the garden gate and going into the house, people that he'd never seen before, only to realise that the Pritchards were all out. So in later years, as he grew up, he's like, actually, that was not normal. Why were all these weird, unknown people going into the house when nobody was in? And then the Pritchards turn up and they're like, there's nobody in the house. So he then realised that him and Darren had been seeing apparitions. Of people just walking into the house. Just going through the garden gate and walking into the house. Phil went on to say that a few weeks ago, he'd been outside having a cigarette with a mate and two policemen had drove past. They stopped and they got out to have a chat. They asked Phil, so is it true? And Phil goes, oh yeah, it's all true. And the other policeman says, is it as bad as they say it is? And Phil says, yeah, pretty much. Do you want to look inside? He says, just be careful, though, because if you go upstairs, hold on to the banister, because Fred likes to push. One of the policemen, who's a large guy, and he's got this, like, cocky demeanour about him, he's like, does he really? Like, like proper sarky. Good luck with that. The two policemen go in the house for a look, and they go upstairs. And on their way back downstairs, sure enough, the big one, the big cocky copper got pushed down the stairs by Fred. And the other one got hit repeatedly with marbles that appeared from absolutely nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) I used to imagine Fred would be like, I don't want the fuzz here. Be gone, marbles. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. I like how he just picked the marbles. Like, this is is what I'm going with today. Marbles and pushing. Yeah. As they left, Phil said to them, you can come back tonight if you want. And to which the larger policeman replied, I would rather face off with an armed robber than ever go back in there. Yeah. I'm not happy with the the policeman's <laughs> comeback. I think he could have done better. Yeah. I'd much rather debate my own toxic masculinity. There you <laughs> go. That's interesting. He does give off that kind of vibe, that guy, doesn't he? Yeah. I don't cry. I don't cry about nothing. <laughs> yeah. I just let it all pent up. That's all. That's really healthy. <laughs> And that's why I'm a big man. Yes. All the feels getting pushed (laughs) inside. (laughs) Phil continued his chat with Richard, saying the house will suddenly smell awful like pee or shit, and sometimes even like a really sulfury smell. Phil warns Richard that he thinks that something demonic lives in there and that they need to be super respectful because the activity seems to be getting more and more violent. He began saying lots of other people have been getting scratched before knowing that this had just literally happened to Charlie. So now it's Carol's turn to come and chat to Richard, Carol, the next door neighbour. She begins by telling him that the haunting doesn't stop at Bill's house. It also happens in hers. She says the first time she ever saw Fred, she was asleep and woken up by something crawling next to her up the bed. No. Mm -mm. Nope. Nope. I'm out now. (laughs) That's like my worst fear ever since I've watched... The grudge. You, oh. you know that scene where she's un- yeah. yeah. Where she's under the duvet crawling up. Just no. Mm. Mm-mm. Oh. That was Carol's first encounter with Fred. He crawled up next to her in bed. And then he stood up. She said he was very tall and very large. He then floated away into her wardrobe. So the next day she destroyed the wardrobe because she was like, if that's where it lives, it's not coming back out. I can imagine it with an axe. She was. <laughs> Destroying her wardrobe. Fuck <laughs> it, I'm done. It's over. Yeah. 
She too gets the thuds, the bangs, the footsteps. In fact, no matter how many times they redecorate the ceiling, there's always cracks in there from the force of the banging. She said they don't even go and check. (laughs) JT. (laughs) (laughs) If the walls are cracking. Um, Yeah, I got no rhyme, but there it is. We we all know what you're thinking about. Honesty is the best policy. (laughs) It's a typical Friday. I don't know what to tell you. Oh, is it just on a Friday for you, JT? <laughs> Don't get me in trouble. Don't get me in trouble. Don't get me. I have no comment. Specific days for it. It's Friday. It's cracky wall time. <laughs> it's it's a cracky wall time. All right. Giggity giggity goo. <laughs> she said they don't even go and check anymore because they're so used to it. The bangs, which is creepy as hell that you can just hear a ghost like kicking off in your house and you're just like yeah i'm not even gonna go and have a look at that that yeah. can crack on yeah old news old news carol goes on to talk about jean who she knew a little bit before jean moved into a retirement home so jean mainly kept herself to herself but they did have the occasional chat jean lived in that house with fred for 50 years Ugh. i mean the reality is that there are some folks that have worse relationships for longer. <laughs> this is yes. very true. So. It's true. I think you can get used to some things that we couldn't even imagine getting used to, but she obviously just did. Yeah. Well, like Carol, you know, she's getting her ceiling cracked and she's like, oh, fuck it. It's just the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she knows that it's only on a Friday, though, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> You'd think she'd be a little more excited. <laughs> she had put Uh, So we're back on to Jean now. So she'd put a big lock on the French doors between the lounge and the kitchen and mainly lived in the kitchen part of the house, leaving the lounge to Fred. So she had admitted to Carol that the haunting was getting really bad again and that if it got any worse, she would move. Carol asked her, is it all true, Jean? And she answered, oh yes, every last word of it's true. We never had any reason to lie. We never made any money out of it. And actually, we lost a few friends because of it. But yes, it was all true. Yeah. So Carol also knew May Mountain, who used to live in her house before Carol and Darren did. May recalled one day hearing Jean scream. So she rushed over only to find every bedroom had been turned upside down. So May and her daughter Doreen started helping Jean put everything back in its place. Once finished, Doreen was making her way downstairs and saw a plant pot swaying back and forth. Go on then, she taunted. Do your worst. At which point, the plant levitated and floated down the stairs, leaving a trail of soil behind it. Okay, said Doreen, obviously suitably impressed by what she'd just witnessed. Can I just say, Doreen is hard as fucking nails. She's like Simon Cowell. She's just like... (laughs) Show me what you got. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what she was like. Imagine just sat there, though, having a cup of tea, and then you kind of look over to the stairs, and there's a plant floating downstairs. I, I, You'd be like, what? I appreciate that Fred was like, not only am I going to show you, but I'm also going to trail dirt behind it, so you have to clean it up afterward. Oh, well, that was his thing. I think Fred was just saying, woman, you don't water these plants enough. You need to water them. (laughs) Every time you don't water them, I'm going to take them down the stairs. Do you think he was green-fingered? 
I think he didn't care much for humans and he didn't obviously didn't like animals very much, but he loved a good plant. Yeah. He was gentle with them. He didn't chuck them. He floated them down the stairs. He has never hurt a single plant. Yeah. Prides himself. May Mountain also told Carol that one time she'd heard Joe, so Jean's husband, shouting and raving from the front garden and he was shouting up at the house. He turned to look at May and said... It's throwing everything outside from the upstairs window. And it was. It was just throwing all the furniture out of the window onto the lawn. So Joe was understandably fuming. It's like living with with one of those teenage bratty kids and it's like, you're not my dad. And just chucking everything about. That's exactly what it's like. It must have aged them. It must be a tiring having to pick up after somebody all the time. It must be. It's fucking relentless. And it does make you wonder... What happened to Joe? Because Joe died in that house of a heart attack, right? In the bathroom. It does make you wonder, was it just, you know, one of those things? He, he got old and had a heart attack? Or was he under so much fucking stress because his house is always being ruined and wrecked and messed about? And mm. It is enough to give you a heart attack, isn't it? Yeah. Jean had trouble getting a window cleaner. The reputation of the house was putting everyone off except one nice chap that would come round and do the windows for her. So one day he knocked on her door and said, you might want to close the upstairs windows, Jean. She didn't understand. They were shut. But as she went upstairs to look, they were wide open and all her things had been thrown outside. The nice window cleaner helped her pick everything up and get everything back inside. And she just took this all in her stride. Jean was like, yeah, this happens all the time. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, thanks for helping me. Big up to the window cleaner for helping, and then also, I assume he did her windows afterwards. Yeah, he also did the windows. He didn't run away screaming. No, no. It doesn't matter what he does at the house, either before or after, he always does the windows. Yes. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Carol said one day she saw Philip outside mowing the lawn. So this is Philip, the son. He's now all grown up. And he's mowing the lawn outside. So she went out to say hello and ask after Jean because it had been a while since she'd seen Jean. Philip said, oh, my mum moved out months ago. Carol was absolutely dumbfounded at this because she'd heard Jean's TV blaring. She'd heard voices. She'd heard the parrot because Jean now lives with a parrot. Philip said that he didn't know what to say to her, but that that house had been empty and still was empty for months. And that he himself would never set foot in there ever again. So he'd literally turned up, gone to the shed, got the mower, mowed the lawn, put the lawnmower back and fucked off. He didn't go in the house. Yeah. Do you remember how Joe and Jean heard farm animals in their room and how sceptical Tash was about it? She was just like, no, that didn't happen. Yeah. (laughs) It was good. Well done. Sounded like a grumpy cow. It was. I mean, sounds like a cow that wants to chase somebody. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Do you know that cows kill more people every year than sharks? Can we just leave sharks alone? I mean, I'm terrified of sharks, but we need to leave them the fuck alone because they don't kill people. I wasn't trying to get people to go and slap the sharks. <laughs> but if you knew that I escaped a shark, you'd think that was really badass. But I escaped... Me and my sister escaped a field full of cows, which was more deadly than a shark. So I'm really badass. You are. You're a regular old crocodile hunter. Yeah. Yeah. Back to our (laughs) farm animals. So you remember how Joe and Jean 
heard the farm animals and how sceptical Tash was. Well, this is now backed up by Carol, who says that during the time that the house was empty, her and her family would often hear animal noises coming from next door, including mooing. Was it Fred pretending to be a cow? Or were there ghost cows? No, it's Fred making farm animal noises. I think Fred has better days than others. I think there's some days... Where he's just like, well, what am I going to do now? Oh, right, well, I'll moo at the wall, and that'll scare him. Other days, he's throwing chairs against people's legs. Yeah, he's very eclectic, isn't he? He's kind of all over the place. He's, yeah, there's no MO in his... Well, he's not a serial Oh, he is a serial killer, isn't he? We don't know. He might be. We don't know if the legend is true. No. So that brings our series to an end. But to finish, I will leave you with Bill Bungay's own words about the house. On the top floor of a dilapidated house at the end of a dimly lit corridor was a dark, empty room. It's where it would wait, silently, patiently, wait for me. Several nights a month for years, I would feel its powerful, terrifying presence wordlessly taunting me. On rare occasions, I would somehow defy the paralysing fear and make my way to the room, every cell in my body telling me not to, to turn back. With legs becoming heavier with every step, I'd eventually make it to the door, to the room, where I'd tremble uncontrollably outside. I'd lean in to listen to the closed door. I'd truly feel its cold, its darkness, its heartlessness, its hell. With my heart pounding out of my body, I'd tentatively open the door. I had to see what evil looked like. It was there, in the corner, but I couldn't see it. I had to go in deeper into the room. But before I ever got close enough to look at its face, the fear so overwhelmed me that I would silently scream and scream until an actual scream woke me from my reoccurring nightmare. If anyone ever asks me why I've never spent the night in my own house, I tell them this. There you go. I'm done. Fuck off, Fred. I'm finished with you. He said, oh, are you? Oh, don't you dare do that, JT. No, I don't like that. (laughs) Well, I was just wondering if he was like, oh, boy. Well, are you? (laughs) That makes me feel better. Can you talk like that? That's that's better. That was a good Mickey voice. I enjoyed that. So JT's got to shoot, because that took a very long time to get through. JT from Brew Crime, do you want to plug it for us, for them, for you, even? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I like teaming with you guys because, um, well, you're funnier than I am, in, in my own opinion. But um, <laughs> we have a good time over at Brew Crime. We talk about crimes, conspiracies, literally whatever. Um, we recently did a kind of a collab with, with you all on uh, weird crimes, or weird laws, rather, around the world. And, uh, you know, Stupid's International. It just really is. So we have a really good time. Check us out at Brew Crime. Literally all the socials, if you if you look at Brew Crime, you'll find us. Um, I'm usually at JT Brews Crime. And Mike, my co-host, is at Brew Crime. So you find us there, you know? And, um, yeah. Thanks for having me. Oh, you know? thanks, for yeah, thanks for coming. It's been fun. <laughs> Leave it to me to kind of jump in, blow things up, and then leave. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> good. It's great. It's great to have you. We've got some murder to get on with now. All right. All right well. then. <laughs> bye <Bye-bye>. bye. <laughs> oh, bye everybody. <laughs> <laughs> right, Becky. Right. Yes. 
Now, this is the cursed story. This is a story uh, I've heard this three times now. Yeah. Every time she tells it, the audio goes wrong. So just pray for us, people. Pray yeah. For shall us. we? Shall we do it as a duet this time? As soon as you probably know it <laughs> yeah, word I'll for word. <laughs> I don't know the science bit. You you go for it. You go for it. Yeah. Okay. So the reason why we first attempted this was in the summer. The episode before we were talking about DNA and forensic Forsnick science. Fuck off. Uh, it was back at Forsnick Gate when Emma fantastically mispronounced that word. But don't worry, half of the words that I say in the first paragraphs of this will probably be completely butchered. So... <laughs> <laughs> please do, please do. Do something worse than Forsnick, because I feel like I'm never going to live that one down. Yeah, there's not many things that you mispronounce. I say poultrygeist. And I still can't say it, right? Well, you know, Tash can't say skeleton. Oh, yeah. Skeleton. Do you think that's because of Nightmare Before Christmas? Because that's what he's called, isn't it? It's Jack Skellington. Could be, yeah. I do love that film. Yes. Big up to... Oh, God, what are they called? The skeletons? Stephen and Charlie, is it? Yeah, one of them's Charlie. And the other one's definitely Stephen, so big up to Stephen and Charlie. Hey, it's October, guys. It's your time to shine. Yeah, your time to shine. They've woken up. I hope they have their little Halloween friends. Uh, but, this, but this is a really cool time of year for them, because they have all their plastic friends come out of their boxes. Yeah. Oh, I'm assuming that Charlie and Stephen are plastic. <laughs> are they not plastic? Oh, I don't know. Ruth, Julie, please tell me they're plastic. I'm not sure what the rules are, because they used to be... Like you said in a few stories before, it used to be cheaper to have a real skeleton than a plastic one. I know one of them. I think Stephen definitely plastic. I have got doubts about Charlie now. Charlie looks pretty real. He did. Oh my God. Ruth. Is that, is he real? Did you do that to Charlie? Was Charlie a real Charlie? Oh God. (laughs) Also... One of them, it was either Ruth or Julie, I can't remember which one, said they were going to send me photos of skeleton feet wearing colourful socks just for Tash. And I'm still waiting on that. (gasps) Please send them. (laughs) Please. Oh, bless Tash. With a little licks. Anyway. Yeah. So back to the murder, as this episode is quite a long. So it's the first case that was solved by DNA. But you can't wait for this one, Emma. Haven't heard this one before. What's going to happen, Becky? Oh, well, are you ready for a science lesson? Tell me all about it, babes. Bill Nye, the science guy, is me tonight. (laughs) Get ready for this. And if you don't understand what I say, just nod along and you'll just feel smart because you'll agree with what I'm saying. Therefore, it means that you have understood it, even though you might not have done. But if you kind of nod along and be like, oh, yeah, mm, yeah. Alleles, mm, yes. Just nod. Just nod your (laughs) way through it, you'll be fine. Three times I've heard it, still not a clue. (laughs) Right. Hang on, can I give you a little intro? Yeah. Na, 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 Oh, I wasn't. I was doing the little finger pointing dance into it. 
wasn't expecting you to stop there. Sorry. <laughs> I thought it was going to go, na, 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 na. Really get into the... Well, I, I thought it'd gone on too long, you know. I felt a bit self-conscious. <laughs> oh. Well, JT was doing his really cool Mickey stuff and... And we're just going, na, 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 na. <laughs> yeah. I got, I was like, shit. Right. Anyway, that was your intro. Go on. Science, baby. God, I can't wait for this. It's all sound, Emma. We can get... Sound, sound, sound. Sound, sound, rad. Totally. It's mint. It's mint is what it is. (laughs) It's mint. Oh, yeah. Forensic science is continually evolving, and sometimes fresh evidence helps to crack old cases. A large part of forensic evidence is DNA. A DNA profile is a list of numbers that indicate how many repeat units are in each copy of 20 marker regions that are located throughout the genome. Mm. So... Yes, indeed. Chromosomes contain markers where short DNA sequences are repeated multiple times. The number of repeats at each marker varies from person to person, and each person has two copies. The two copies are also called alleles. So you have two alleles... One from your mother and one from your father. To determine the number of repeats at each marker, forensic scientists extract DNA from cells in blood or other fluids or tissues. Like spunk? Yes. Like semen. Oh, I don't say semen. Fuck's sake. Spunk is also not a very nice word to say. You know when some people say, oh, she's got spunk, that really goes through me. I'm just like, why say that? Please don't say that. Yeah, and I'm like, all I'm thinking of is spunk. Like, (laughs) I'll, I'll tell you what, the image I have is, have you ever squeezed a yogurt and it's gone? Yeah. That's what. Do you know what image I have in my hair? In my hair? Oh, my God. <laughs> you just gave yourself away. Please keep that in. Oh, I know what you were thinking of, you dirty man. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Good luck combing that out. Shampoo, babes. There's no other choice. You're just going to shampoo it. I can't believe I said that. (laughs) (laughs) No, do you know what? Spunky, like she's she's spunky, makes me feel makes me think of makes me think Leather Allure's had a really good Friday night. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, she's done her job very well that day. (laughs) Yeah, look at her. Look at how spunky she is. Well, it keeps it keeps the leather shiny. (laughs) Leather in. <laughs> oh, we're gross. Yeah. <clears throat> Scientists can extract the DNA from fluids, tissues, blood. Jizz. They copy the DNA using the polymerase chain reaction. Yes, that's exactly what they do. They do. And when they do that, they separate the copied markers, and that's what they check against the sample so you have your person that you've taken their dna and then you have the sample next to it that you're checking and you check the markers against each other and if the markers match the dna is a match 
Bum, bum, bum. You're a winner. Or a loser. And you go into prison. Bye. Or it excludes the person if it doesn't match. Yeah, well, yeah. Our case, our very famous case that was solved by DNA. We've done the science bit. That's done. Yeah. That's not coming back. Science bit is done. And I don't care what happens to this episode. I'm not, I'm, we're not going through that again. No. Three times. I swear the first time I explained that because I'd been watching lots of things about DNA. I explained it really well the first time. And you understood it. You both understood it. Or we pretended we did, like, the first time. I really believed you. I thought I'd done a good job. Whereas yesterday was terrible. I think today's a little bit better. At this point, I feel like I am a Forsnick investigator. Yeah. I know so much about it. Yeah. I think I'm also a a scientist. Yeah. I I, I think that that qualifies. I've heard that three times. I think that's worth, like, a degree in science, right? I'm ready to make a vaccine. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, let's let's do it. Why are yeah. we wasting our time on this podcast, babe? I don't know. Anyway, finish your story. Yeah, I will start it and finish it. <laughs> <laughs> our case takes place in 1983, so not that long ago. It's not that long ago, and it was a very good year. It was a very good year, 1983. A lot of good shit happened. I heard that a legend was born Leather that year. Yeah. Yeah. Mrs. Uh, old Sticky Hair over there. <laughs> I can't believe I said that. You're never going to let me live that down. No, no, I'm going to keep mentioning it so you can't cut it out. What's that called? It's a fraud. Is it a fraud- Freudian slip? When you say something because you're thinking it. Oh, see, the science has gone to your head. <laughs> see? Saying all these it, words. It's that fucking degree that I've got after. I'm three- just going to nod and agree. Yeah. I think that's what that is. <laughs> <laughs> 1983. Linda Rosemary Mann was a 15-year-old schoolgirl at Lutterworth Grammar School. She was a bright student at the time she was learning French, Italian and German. In November 1983, Linda was in her last year at school. It was her ambition to travel the world. Her friends described her as bubbly or happy-go-lucky. Like most girls her age, Linda liked clothes, makeup, and music. Linda had two sisters, one older sister called Susan and the younger one called Rebecca. Good name. Good name. Yeah. It's a strong name, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the evening of Monday, the 21st of September, Linda went to see a friend called Karen in Narbra. She left there about 7.30 p.m., and she said that she was going to go see another friend in Enderby when all of a sudden a man jumped in front of her and exposed himself to her. Terrified, she ran away and the man started running after her until he caught up to her and grabbed her. Oh God, that is horrifying. Absolutely. Imagine. Yeah. I mean, I have many fears, but that is uh, on the top, isn't it? No. Someone jumps out, flashes you. That's horrendous enough. Like, ugh. But then they start chasing you. Jesus, that's terrifying. A nightmare. It is a nightmare. The sort of thing that you, you only see on films, but no, this is real. He dragged her to a piece of land next to the footpath and raped her. Oh, fuck's sake. Linda would not return home that night or get to her friend's house. Oh. The next morning, Linda was found, raped and strangled on a deserted footpath 
known locally as black path footpath using forensic science techniques available at the time not how you say that word (laughs) (laughs) using forsnick (laughs) science techniques available at the time a semen sample was taken from her body and was found to belong to a person with type a blood with an enzyme profile that matched only 10% of males. So it it narrowed it down a little bit, but when you think of how many males live in England, and 10% is a massive amount. Yeah, a shitload of people. Yeah. With no leads or evidence, the case was left open. In February 1984, Linda was buried in Narborough Cemetery. Bless her cotton socks. I know. It must be awful burying... Your daughter knowing, well, knowing partly of what happened, then you just don't know the person that is still out there. That is just horrific. Well, it's just, yeah, it's a nightmare. Everything about it is horrific. Dawn Amanda Ashworth was born in June 1971, and in 1986, Dawn lived in the village of Enderby. Like Linda Mann, Dawn Ashworth was a student at Lutterworth Grammar School. She was very good at drawing and painting, and she loved clothes and music. Dawn was loved by her friends. Dawn also had a reputation as a mature and sensible girl. In the summer of 1986, Dawn worked part-time at a newsagent's in Enderby. Dawn had a younger brother called Andrew. So in the afternoon of Thursday, 31st of July, 1986... Dawn went to Narborough to see friends, but when she got there, she realised that they were out, so she just decided to go back home. Dawn entered a footpath to Enderby called Ten Pound Lane. After a while, she heard someone running up behind her. Oh, God, the worst sound. So she turned around to see a man exposing himself. So she turns on her heels and runs. Her aggressor, again, caught up to her and grabbed her. Do you know, I've, as I said three times now, and it's just not getting any better. It is just no. as horrific. Poor Dawn. Her aggressor caught up to her and grabbed her. Dawn would also be raped in a field next to the footpath. Her body would be found two days later on the 2nd of August, only a short distance from the site where Linda Mann was murdered. Oh, that's horrible. Dawn Amanda Ashworth was buried in the cemetery behind St. John the Baptist Church in Enderby. Unfortunately, police again failed to catch the murderer, even though the case featured on Crime Watch UK in the December. Because there was just no, no witnesses, there was DNA evidence, but no one knew how to use that yet. So they were kind of stuck. And that's two girls, two teenagers that have been raped and murdered in a short space of time. Yeah. For these two murders, prime suspect was a local 17-year-old boy with learning difficulties. He was called Richard Buckland. He had revealed knowledge of Dawn's body. That's why they brought him in. But I don't know whether it was because he'd seen it and didn't know, didn't understand enough to know to report it or what, or whether he just happened to be right. Yeah. But on the 8th of August, 1986, after intense questioning from the police, everything got a bit much for Richard and he eventually would just confess to the murder of Dawn, but denied being involved in Linda's murder. Did they just accept that then? Well, I think they were trying to push him to admit it. 
admit to both. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it's blatantly obvious to, to me and you that they're connected, right? Yeah, yeah, they were they were connected. Um, so Richard Buckland was actually very lucky because he might have gone to prison except for the fact that Dr. Alec Jeffries had just invented DNA fingerprinting. That's one lucky guy. Yeah. That was close. Yeah. And also a horrific idea that the police were just like, do you know what? You've got learning disabilities. Yeah, let's just pressure you into a, into a false confession. Yeah, not cool. No. So a DNA test was done that would show that Buckland was not responsible at all. And police were shocked. You mean the confession that we forced out of this poor boy after being held for God knows how many hours was not real? What? That doesn't happen, A 17-year-old boy probably got scared and admitted it. What? What? This made Buckland the first person to be excluded as a suspect because of DNA. And this left police with a problem that they still didn't know who the murderer is. The murderer? The murderer. (laughs) I'm the murderer. I can't speak. Here comes a hot stepper, word or she's a lyrical gangster. No, she's not. <laughs> <laughs> she's a lyrical serial killer. <laughs> so they still don't know who the murderer is and they will have to do the job and actually find him. How annoying for them. Yeah. The scientists that were helping the police were not very popular with the police because all they keep doing is just proving that someone didn't do it when they get someone that they think, oh, we could be good for it. Bring him in, do a DNA test. Oh, no, it wasn't him. So that's kind of annoying to the police because they have to keep working on it. You'd think being a policeman, you'd be like, actually, this is excellent because it means that the bad guys that we're actually getting it are the right bad guys and not just terrified children. Yeah, not just, I don't know, people with learning difficulties. Obviously, all the possible racism that goes into it as well. There's, you know, the list is endless. But they're actually going to have to hopefully get the right people. Well, they do. They do. This is the whole thing. This is the first case of DNA solving a murder. Yes, it is. Instead of helping the investigation, they just proved that only suspect an innocent man and they don't have any more leads. But obviously, they don't want any other young girl's death on their conscience. So they need to get this solved. What they decided to do was do a huge DNA screening. They basically got a big map of the area where the two girls were found and drew a massive circle around it and said, right, everyone that lives in that area, we're going to test for DNA. So any male, I think, I don't know if they had a age limit on it where they look for people in within certain ages. I assume so, but I don't know what that was. Blood samples from over 4,500 men in the area were taken and tested. And unfortunately, all of them came back negative. That's right, kicking the fucking teeth. But then police were kind of stuck with the fact that they asked everyone to come down and it kind of got round the villages and that in the area that if you didn't go and give your DNA, that's really suspicious and they'll kind of get, not witch hunted, but kind of be like, oh, well, he hasn't gone and given his DNA. Yeah, 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 I know what you mean. Yeah. You know how villages talk. Yeah. Again, police were a bit kind of stumped and didn't really know what to do with this. And also, that cost a shit ton of money to do that. So their resources were kind of a little bit dwindly by... Do you think they've ever done that again? I don't think they have. No. I think it was the first time that they did that. And I think the last. Yeah. Could be wrong. 
probably have to do a little corrections corner next week. <laughs> I've done this three times, so you'd think that uh, I would have checked that, but I don't think they do. This brings us to the 1st of August, 1987, after like a year's worth of DNA testing all those 4,500 men. A man called Ian Kelly was in a Leicestershire pub called the Clarendon. He was with his mates and then he started riling off this story about the time that he had taken a DNA test in the place of one of his friends because his friend didn't want any any trouble with the police because he had actually had previous offences of indecent exposure, which he explained away to his friend, apparently. Yeah. That, oh, it was her fault, it wasn't mine. One of those. She was asking for it. He kind of put it across to him to say, hey, I don't want any trouble with the police, would you please go and take this DNA test for me? And Ian fucking Kelly just went and did it. What a wanker. Ian, you're a knob. What a knob. And then he's just like boasting about it to his mates in the pub. Everyone knows an Ian Kelly. What a twat. Seriously, though, if your friend says I'm a sex offender and I've exposed myself, you say, all right, okay, first of all, we're not friends anymore. And second of all, no, fuck off. Yeah, I'm absolutely not going to take a DNA that could point the finger to you on a murder. As Ian Kelly was blasting this story across the entire pub, a woman, an awesome woman, overheard this conversation and actually reported it to the police. Go, lady. I don't have your name, but you are an angel. Legend. Yes. Do you know what she is, Becky? She's sound. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for it. Did you do that yesterday at the same point? It surprised me both times. Oh, she's totally sound. She's mint. Sound as pound she is. Totally. Totally. Like Totally Brad. What was the thing? Something to the Nars? Ripping. Bars to the Nars? She was bars to the Nars. Jesus, our memories are terrible. It was like an hour ago. <laughs> Who was that American? There was an American here, wasn't there? Was there? Did we imagine that? Is GT real? GT? Who the fuck's GT? <laughs> Is JT real? Who the fuck's GT? Gin and tonic. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that, JT. To, in my defence, in French, it's the other way around. Exactly. I always get those two confused, J and G. So many confusing things. Being bilingual is hard, man. It is hard. So this awesome sound woman reported this conversation to police. Wicked. And, yeah. <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> Waza. <laughs> <laughs> Did she go to the police station like, Waza? Oh, Waza. <laughs> And do the little finger thing. I could never do that, the finger clap. Well, you're going to hear a really lovely finger slappy yeah. sound on my audio there. You're going to love We're that. Cool. Yeah. On the 19th of September, 1987, police arrested a man called Colin Pitchfork. This is the guy that Ian Kelly had stood in for. Yep. During questioning, Pitchfork admitted to exposing himself to more than 1,000 women every single time you say that it just blows my mind a thousand women a how does he know he's got some kind of weird flasher diary like today i flashed someone 
And also, does he does he just do that every day? I don't understand. And he didn't kill a thousand people, obviously. So what what was that thing that? Well, it, he escalated from exposing himself to now attacking people. He said that it was a compulsion that began in his early teens. He later progressed to sexual assault and then to strangling his victims. Pitchfork murdered Linda Mann to prevent her from identifying him because as he was attacking her and before the rape, Linda trying to persuade him not to go through with what he was about to do said to Pitchfork, well, what about your wife? And this indicated that she had seen his wedding ring and knew that he was married. And after the rape, he realized that he had a few distinguishing features. He was losing his hair, like his hair was sliding off the back of his head. He had an earring. No, I know, I've heard it. Three times he had an earring. Yeah, he's, and he was wearing an earring. <laughs> You're right. Well done. See, Point. I listen. Yeah, you listen. Which also would help to identify him. And he had a really, really, really tiny dick. Obviously. Pitchfork also said that at the time he was planning to move to Littlethorpe, which was near Narborough, and almost certainly would bump into Linda again. So he was moving to the area a lot closer to where Linda, well, where he, he attacked her. I think her. he was moving there because he felt comfortable because it had little in the name. Yeah. That's what I'm going with. Moving to Little Dicksville. Because he's just such a little dicked fucking wanker. Mm. Pitchfork strangled Linda with her own scarf. Jesus. At the time that he attacked Linda, Pitchfork actually had his baby son in the car asleep. Oh, God, I'd forgotten that. Oh, forgot or just like completely erased because it's horrendous. Yeah. Who jumps out of a car to go and attack a woman? Who does that? But also leaving your baby son in the car. This detail of being out with his baby son was part of the reason why police didn't look into him more when they were going around questioning and interviewing the local men. Well, yeah, because what sane person would do that with their kid in the car? Yeah, would leave your baby in the car and or take your kid out to rape someone or expose yourself to someone. Ugh. It wasn't an alibi, but police kind of saw it as one. As most people would think that you, you wouldn't do that when you had the baby in the car. No. So Pitchfork, it did actually admit to his crimes, but lied about the level and nature of the violence that he had inflicted on his victims. He pleaded guilty to both the rapes and murders, in addition to another incident of sexual assault, and he was sentenced to life in prison. A psychiatric report that was done on Pitchfork described him as having a psychopathic personality disorder accompanied with a serious psychosexual pathology. Uh, yeah. So perfect person to uh, commit these types of crimes. The Lord Chief Justice at the time of his sentencing said that from the point of view of the safety of the public, I doubt that he should ever be released. And the Secretary of State set a minimum of 30 years in prison. In 2009, Pitchfork's minimum term sentence would be reduced to 28 years. And on June 7th of 2021, Pitchfork was granted release on a conditional license. However, the Secretary of State applied for a review, which delayed his release. He argued that it's unfair. There was like a 
a thing that you could do. You could argue that it was unfair or irrational to the victim and the victim's family for him to be released early. Agreed. But on the 13th of July, the review was refused and Pitchfork was released from prison on the 1st of September, 2021. Excellent. Yeah, that's great, isn't it? Just wonderful. Prison is about reform. Yeah. But I do think with paedophiles and things like this, the minute they get out, they're going to do it again. It's in them, isn't it? It's a compulsion. There's no... It's, yeah, I don't think they have too much control over it. And he's already let himself go. Why would he now stop? Yeah. In November 2021, Pitchfork was recalled to prison for breaching his license conditions. What did he do, Becky? Well, this will surprise you, as you haven't heard it three times already. Even if I hadn't heard it three times, I've got a pretty good idea of what he did. Yeah. What he'd do is he'd go on these long walks, like around, around his village and in the countryside. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'd do it on purpose so that he'd walk in places with not as many witnesses, and when he thought that no one was around, he approached young women, and that's the license conditions that he broke. Like some kind of predator, almost. Yeah. He, he, it's already started. He got out in September. In November, he had already started closing in on victims again. Who could have He would known? have started approaching your women and then eventually he would have started flashing them and it would all just come in one big massive circle. He was told not to do it and he already did it after two months. They told him not to do it and he did it anyway? What, like a criminal? Oh, like like an absolute psychopathic sexual fucking mental case. Yeah. I am shocked. His second victim's mother, Barbara Ashworth, told BBC News, where I got this quote from, she said that, She was pleased with the fact that he'd been put back in jail. He's been put away and women and girls are safe and protected from him now. And there were many complaints put to the parole board for letting him go, letting him out in the first place. Obviously, there was no reform there. Yeah. Their job is to make sure that the people... Are reformed. Are changed. They're regretful. I know that it's hard when you come into people that with like psychopaths that know how to hide their behavior and their real intentions, but yeah. But despite all that, you'd kind of think that he goes back into prison, that's it, he's already had a chance, and that's it, he is gone. That's what a sane person would think, yeah. No, because this is life. In autumn this year, so in autumn 2022, so now, imminent. Now, yeah. uh, The parole board is to consider releasing Pitchfork again. I swear to God, if you come on here and tell me they've released him again, I'm going to lose my shit. No. Well, I'll update it as we go. Surely they can't. They won't. I mean, he'll come up for parole and they'll look at his, like, file and be like, uh, nah. That's a no. Ugh. What a monster. Yeah, gross, absolute human garbage. Yeah. Put him in the bin. Shall I do my song? Oh yeah, horror song for the week. We've got some ladies that are on it. So, just briefly to explain, yesterday as we were recording the podcast, Emma said to me, right Becky, you, you've done the song, haven't you? And uh, I hadn't, I had completely forgot that it was my turn to write the song. So this is a very short one, as I've only done the chorus. I think the fact that it's a very short one is quite fitting, because it's just after the Colin Pitchfork story, so short one, yeah. (laughs) 
I just hate him. I've heard it so many times. I just absolutely hate him. Yeah. Well, because we've spoken about it, it probably will pop up on our like news news feeds if he does get released. Yes, because they're listening. Always. But anyway, let's do the song. Before I never believed in life after death, but now I feel the bugs crawling under my skin. I've been dead for weeks now, and no one has found me. Do you believe in life after death? I can hear the worms consuming my brain. Soon I fear I won't be strong enough for when they find me. That's it. That's an icky. It's icky. It's icky. I always give myself the real creeps when I do this. It's really... Yeah, it is creepy. Yeah, so sorry that one's short. But it's just the chorus. So it is the chorus of a song. It's short and to the point. Yes. Indeed. So, yeah. So, you can get us on our social media. We are at Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. That's at SCSK underscore podcast. Yeah. We're on Facebook, Spine Chillers and Serial Killers. And you can email us. You can email Becky. Becky, the email is... It is chillers.killers.pod at gmail.com. We'd love to... That's one. ...hear from you and your answer to the the songs, if you want to write in. You can also uh, PM us on Instagram and Facebook or one of the other social media platforms. There are plenty, plenty... Plenty of ways to get in contact and also, if you want to write in with a, if you have a suggestion of a case or a haunting or whatever paranormal thing that you'd like us to cover, please write in. Absolutely. I want awful Tinder dates. Yeah. I'm obsessed oh, yeah. now. We talked about this yesterday, but we forgot to mention it today. Go ahead, Emma. What do you want to suggest? Well, just so if somebody's been on an awful Tinder date or any date, I want to know about it because I find it hysterical. Yeah. Funny or creepy or whatever, we just kind of want to know what's the worst date that you've yeah. ever been on. Tell us, tell us, we want to know. Tell us. And anyway, we're sorry for this mix match episode, but hey, it's just one of those things. Audio issues. A huge thank you for JT to come in and hanging out with us for a little bit. That was nice. Yes, thank you very much. Big love to Tash with her a friend, other friend, friend. Anyway, I'm definitely going to try and get some clips of Tash from our audio recording that went wrong, just as a little wink to her. So she's involved in this episode and I will stick them at the end. Yeah. So if you hear random Tash, that's what you're hearing. Yeah. All right, then. Well, I'll do her part then. So until next time, please, guys, stay safe. Don't kill people. And keep it weird. Bye bye. 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 But my question is, how do vampires get hard-ons if they don't have, like, a beating heart? (laughs) If it's cold, it would be flaccid. As I watched him leave the pub, I wasn't actually watching him, but I looked out the window at the same time as he was leaving. Um, I saw how he got into his car, and it was an instant ick. And I had a group of, like, blokes. I definitely don't think some of them would have been interested in me. But I decided to take it upon myself to say amazeballs to them. (sighs) 
and I went into the kitchen. I went into the kitchen and I could have died. I was like, why did I say that? Bye. Bye, bye, bye. bye. <laughs>